Welcome to The Together Project, where we're bringing you fresh voices from seasoned role models to help you stretch and grow in your leadership. During each episode, you'll be hearing from your host, leadership expert, author of Developing Female Leaders, and self-proclaimed jazzercise queen, the incomparable Katie Cole. Katie always says the future isn't just male or female, it's together. So we'll be bringing you leaders who are passionate in their fields and creating a culture where everyone has a seat at the leadership table. At our virtual table today, Katie is talking with Danielle Best, community pastor at Liberty Church in New York, New York. City so nice, they named it twice. Culture shifts are often noticed first in metropolitan areas. Danielle will tell us all about her leadership journey in the Big Apple, where she has discovered how to adjust ministry philosophy to the trajectory of modern culture without sacrificing the truth of the gospel. We're so excited to share Danielle with you. So let's get started and grow together. Hey, everybody. Welcome. We're so glad you're joining us today for our interview with Danielle Best. Danielle, thank you so much for joining us. Yes, it's a pleasure. So let me tell you a little bit about Danielle. She has a bachelor's degree in psychology and religious studies. What you might not guess about her is that for 15 years, she was actually a competitive ballroom dancer and was actually quite something I've heard. Used to travel all over the country, was an instructor and really involved in that whole industry and really excellent. We may talk about dancing a little bit. I'm not sure. But now she actually lives in New York on the Upper West Side, where she is a community pastor at Liberty Church. That's kind of their title that they use for campus pastors. So if that's more familiar to you, you think of it that way. Liberty Church has eight campuses all throughout New York, and then also San Francisco and in Florida, and I think one international campus. Am I right about that, Danielle? That's true, yes, indeed. Super exciting church, a lot of wonderful things happening. And how long have you been a part of Liberty Church? I've been a part of Liberty Church for about three and a half years now, and uh, community pastoring for about two and a half. Excellent. So uh, that's kind of your background, but why don't you start us off? Tell us a little bit just about your leadership journey, kind of your spiritual journey, and how you ended up doing the ministry that you're doing now. It was an unexpected journey, actually. Growing up, I didn't necessarily see myself in leadership roles. You know, when you're a kid, you're just kind of doing life. Now, looking back at my journey, I realized that things were being pulled out of me and cultivated in me by other people or maybe even recognized in me that I can now say, oh, that was leadership. So it wasn't being messaged to me that way. It was more of just like you're responsible or you have integrity or character or something like that. I would say probably in my early middle school to high school experience, specifically with my youth pastor, he was really the first one to start to see specific things in me, specific gifts or skills and start to call them out and then create opportunities inside what we were doing with our youth program or our Sunday school or whatnot for me to exercise some of those gifts and definitely stretching my boundaries. So I think that was the first time I really caught on or started to realize that I had something unique to offer. And it was maybe different than my family or my sister or the other people around me. It was unique. So as I started leaning into those things, I just continued saying yes to opportunities that were presented to me to maybe teach something or to reside as like the president over our youth council or things of that nature to start to learn how to organize and process and think and be strategic and really cast vision, I guess. That was the early stages of casting vision and moving a people group in from an idea to execution or 
something of that nature. And all that time, I had no idea because I also had the dream of being a dancer. So it was kind of like a side project development that God was doing while he was also allowing me to develop as an artist. And for a while, those worlds seemed very incongruent. But slowly, God really started to bring those together. And as he does in his sovereignty, is always cultivating the character of the person and bringing out in all of your life experiences. So now I can, I can, I can imagine those being two very separate worlds, right? Because in the church world, you kind of dress a certain way. In the ballroom dancing world, you dress a different way. Like those are very opposite cultures. <laughs> yeah, I've seen some pictures of you. That's how I know that. <laughs> Talk to me about when those two started to intersect. Like how did that happen? Uh, mm. What did you start to see or notice? I actually think that it started for me in my college experience specifically as I was starting my early career as a ballroom dancer. I didn't realize it as I was finishing up school. It was actually a professor at the time who had been my advisor who was really challenging me to see what my future could look like in ballroom dancing, which is hilarious because she was also helping me finish psychology program. Um, but I think what started to really happen was I was challenged for the first time to see the integration of my faith into all of my life. So growing up just by nature, as I guess church is something you went to and I had a faith life and that was cultivated very early on in my whole family, but it was still something that was a little bit separate from. And then you did everything else. You went to work, you went to school, or you had your hobbies or so on. And so I think it was challenged at that point to integrate all of who I was holistically, thinking about myself more holistically, mind, body, and soul, everything that I produce is for the glory of God. And so as soon as I started to think about that, I started to consider every activity that I was involved in, whether I was performing or I was teaching or coaching or creating or leading or teaching a Bible study. It didn't really matter because I was still me in the holistic portions. My goal was the same. It was always to bring glory to God. So it became less incongruent that I could be in the arts field and in relationships with people who were creating. My job was still to bring glory to God. Even as I was challenged in an industry that was very self-promoting, very centered focused, very performance driven and so on, I was called to the mat on who am I going to be? What integrity am I going to bring to this table as a Christ follower? and be excellent at what I do and to still be in an industry that is got certain rules and certain ways you go about doing things without compromising my holistic being and who God was asking me to be. Like, how can I actually bring glory to him by the way that I treat people or by my rules of engagement? The industry wasn't going to set the standard for me, but Christ was going to set the standard for me. And I think that that challenge of laying down yourself and trusting that following God's way versus the world's way or the industry way or whatever, because it says, do these things and you will be successful. And God says, do these things and you will be successful. In my ministry now, it really is no different. So I had to do the struggle there of laying down self, laying down everything that I had, all the gifts and opportunities that God had given me and not see myself at the center of those, but to see Christ at the center of those and that he would allow all of these things to be a contribution. But ultimately, if I wasn't surrendered, then I wasn't going to be able to hold up my end of the bargain kind of a thing. So I find that was a very like uh, challenging industry to be in because there wasn't much that was messaging anything that was God's way. So finding a way to bring in what I personally was feeling convicted about and influence an industry in my own way, it was actually more of a leadership journey than I realized it was. And it has made me a better leader now as I'm even leading a church because it's, again, not about what I'm trying to produce or 
what I'm trying to promote or how many people are coming to church, but it's about glorifying God and helping other people learn to do the same thing. Oh, that's beautiful. I love that. You were finishing up college. You were getting involved in ballroom. Those things were really taking off as a career. You were integrating them with your spiritual life. You were an active volunteer in a local church, right? Very Talk a little so. bit about that season of leadership and ministry. Mm -hmm. So a good portion of my leadership training was as a volunteer, just being a team member or leading a team or filling in the gap or, hey, we need something over here. Okay, I can do that. And then maybe helping to bring structure to something or push something a little bit further forward that maybe had been sitting for a little while. So a lot of um, early on that looked a lot like group leading, maybe mentoring, um, doing prep for marriage style things, a lot of more pastoral roles as a volunteer, like recognizing that my part in the body of Christ is to bring the gifts that God's given me to the table. And so I think that my heart for pastoring and my heart for building the local church really was growing during that time. So my career was something else in a way, but my calling was being clarified at that time. It was in those early stages where I was getting the opportunity to be, we sometimes refer to them as like hidden season, right? I had a very long hidden season where I was very highly engaged in building the church, but the weight and responsibility of the organization or the success wasn't necessarily on my shoulders. So I had a lot of freedom at the time to learn who I was and to learn who God was and to, to really listen to the Holy Spirit and to hone my gifts a little bit and to see where it is that I might thrive a little bit more and to really lean in to what God's asked me to do, regardless of my position, regardless of my career, regardless of my seasonal life. So it was the forging ground of me finding my personal calling in Christ to do the work of the ministry, but it was long before a technical ministry job was actually available to me. That's wonderful. And I think that's such uh, an important season. I think most of us have those seasons, right, where God sort of takes away anything that we could latch on to sort of pridefully, and we just sort of have to become faithful. And then at the same time, as leaders, we're almost teenagers. We're awkward. We're not quite sure how to do things. We kind of experiment, and it doesn't work, and then we find our way. And, and the whole time, at the same time, we have no idea that we aren't carrying all these adult responsibilities because we feel so stressed with what we've been given. Uh, but when now you have these much higher levels of leadership and responsibility and even spiritual authority that at the time you didn't even realize those existed or what they would feel like, but that ground really was laid for you to be able to step into those higher roles. I'm very, very grateful for God and his grace <laughs> in doing that over time. <laughs> yes, for sure. So often it's easy to be frustrated that things don't go faster, but when we have the perspective of hindsight, we can look back and see, oh, that was actually exactly what I needed. And God does know what he's doing. And your story is just an affirmation of that for those of us who might be frustrated that we want things to speed up or we feel like it would be just so easy or we're the obvious answer. Sometimes there's things that we often, almost always, there's things we don't know or can't see, but we can trust that God's really making the right pathway for us. All right, well, let's continue the story as how your leadership developed. Then during the, as you mentioned, the career that I had through ballroom dancing, I was successfully performing and competing and 
in a way, I had I had not exhausted my opportunities in the industry necessarily. I describe it now as a season of recognizing that my heart was eclipsing. So there was something that was eclipsing in my heart for what I was doing. I very much loved what I was doing. Um, there's something about dancing that is, it can be worshipful. So anytime someone's doing something that God's designed them to do and they do it with excellence, it is a form of worship, not that you're worshiping the thing, but I'm exalting God because I'm doing the thing that he's asked me to do or created me to do. So there was a, a beautiful opportunity to experience that. It was very freeing. And I was obviously still doing ministry and I was building relationships with people and helping to evangelize in my spheres of influence relationships that I had. I started to realize this, the fulfillment of it started to decrease a little bit. And that was actually a bit of a surprise to me. And I was actually in the middle of a training session one time, which I really enjoy when I heard God say to me, is this what you want to be doing? And it wasn't in a condemning way or in a challenging way. It was literally just God wanted to know my heart or like have me have a heart check moment. I literally felt my heart say, no, this isn't what I want to be doing anymore. And he said, okay, well, then when you're ready, I have something else for you. And I appreciated God's permission because he allowed the time for my heart to fully eclipse and realize that I did actually want something else and that I was ready to move on or ready to close that door and discontinue the things that I was doing. And that ended up being quite a bit of a challenging season to me. It was mourning the loss of a lot of things, mourning the loss of the opportunity, mourning the loss of like what could be the potential of what I could have been, the enjoyment of the things that I did, my natural exercise program, and now I had to figure out how to do all this whole other thing. I mean, there was a lot of changes in my life, but God and I had made an agreement probably two decades prior when he had really challenged me about who I was, my identity, and he had taken away dancing for a while for me to solidify my identity only in him, and my pure satisfaction was only in him. And then through time, he actually brought it back to me. So it was really quite a redemption story when it comes to performing and dancing for me. I had already known that I'd made an agreement with God that if I was going to move into this as a career, if he asked me to give it up tomorrow, I would. He didn't ask me to give it up. He asked me, were you ready to give it up? And so I was like, yeah. So then when I made that agreement with God, I'd always thought, well, surely then the next thing will be right around the corner. Like, I'll know. And it's so much easier to say no to something that's good when you see the better thing already. And that was not my story. <laughs> so I said, yes to God, I'm ready to end this. And so I went through that season of ending it, but the next thing wasn't immediately there. So there was a kind of a long season for a little bit of change of employment. There was a season of a lot of heart checking, mourning what was, looking an expectation of what was going to be in the future. But again, a waiting season, a waiting season of, I know you're calling me to something else, but I don't know what it is yet. And I just need to trust you. And so there was this forging of a continued faith in who God is going to be for me and the fact that he's the one that's actually marking the plan out for me and I just need to trust him in it. Waiting is hard <laughs> and it, it wasn't a passive waiting. It was a very active recentering myself, regrounding myself. But through that waiting, because God always provides, I got the opportunity to actually work for the church that I was serving in. So I'd been serving for a long time in a church. It was totally like a chance situation where God must have just highlighted my name. It was a interim position. It wasn't even like, if you looked at the job description, it wouldn't be like, Danielle's a fit for that. You'd be like, does she even have those skills? I don't even know. And it was like a three month run. And, you know, I, I really didn't know what to expect, but I kind of was like, okay, God, we're on this adventure of discovery. I don't know what this period's supposed to look like. So sure, I'll work for the church. That should be fun. <laughs> Started working for the church as uh, an executive assistant to one of the lead pastors. And I just learned so much about 
man, a lot of things about myself, about the inner workings of a church and the running of the church as an organization, like a body, like a living organism. Got the opportunity to see a lot of different leadership styles exposed over time. Female leadership, I saw female leadership really for the first time because my church context had not really demonstrated that much. There were very selective areas in which I got to see female leadership or thriving. So healthy leadership had been demonstrated to me, but not necessarily what that looks like from a feminine perspective. And in this church context, I was able to see several different examples of that, of all different types of gifts and skills, but still healthy leadership. So I think in that time, God was kind of giving me a little bit of a show and tell, like, this is what it could look like. Your future could look like this, as in you could be involved in some way of actually helping to lead the organization of the church into the future. Do you want to come along for that ride? Almost like asking me permission again. That's actually when, of course, I got to meet you and my mind was blown and it continues to be blown to this day. But I really feel like God seeded a bunch of hopes and dreams in me, but he also was able to expose things that I didn't even know were true about me when it comes to leadership and capacity and capability and interest in regards to the church. I really just thought, well, I'd be a really great community group leader for a long period of time. And that what was not untrue, but I feel like what God was saying was like, yes, but I actually have more for you. So could you consider what it could look like? Can you see yourself doing this? Here are at least options. And I think that idea of options is such an powerful concept because so many times we sort of just think through things on what we know today. And I love that God just put you in that office because you're right. You saw every single leadership role there was in the church rolled through there at some point, or you were a part of a decision or you were helping communicate information across all those teams and all those different campuses and contexts, and as well as ministry partnerships around the world. Like you really just got an eyeful of all the things that maybe, I think many of us, as we grow up and as volunteers, we don't even know all of that exists. Mm-hmm. How beautiful for you just to kind of get this buffet of leadership and just be like, look at all these options. The reality is the jobs that exist now aren't going to be the jobs next 10 years. So a decade ago, campus pastors weren't even really a thing. And now they're everywhere. And in the next decade, there will be all these new jobs that none of us know to even dream about yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, true. Okay. So you were working, you were doing these sorts of things. Then what happened? What was sort of that next big season? The uh, church that I was working with uh, decided that they were going to launch a campus in New York City. I was asked to consider partnering in that, my husband and myself, to be one of the couples to move to New York City and plant a church. I was coming from South Florida, completely different context, moved into the Upper West Side of Manhattan, learned um, how to explore a new community. It was a church planting 101 experience, for sure, that I kind of, you just don't even realize the ride that you're on sometimes until you got off the ride and you look back and you're like, oh, that was something. That was a ride, you know? I really appreciated the boots on the ground, starting it from the bottom, zero team members, nobody really knows who we are, getting out in the community. I mean, obviously with influence and the experience and the help and the support of a very well-established organization already. But for me personally, as a leader, it was literally starting from the bottom. So it's everything from like the coffee pots and the tablecloths to the curriculum, to the experience that people are having, to building the teams and really helping to um, 
understand how to communicate culture and vision and mission as the front end, you know, like it's coming from somewhere, but I'm, I'm the main steward of this now in my sphere of influence that I was responsible for. Certainly I was not alone in that, thank goodness, but I got the chance to be more on the tip of the spear, I guess is what it was. And I think that has then it awoken in my heart also something I didn't know. And that was a love for church planting. And that was a love for really that specific part of how the body of Christ is going to grow. And so now the seat that I get to sit in now with the organization that I'm a part of, which is now Liberty Church, which through God's sovereignty ended up adopting the community that we had planted. So there was a whole other story there. Um, it was a beautiful story that God um, totally worked out. And now I'm, I'm a part of an organization that church planting is their main focus. And so it's having healthy, vibrant local churches and communities around the world. So local churches um, that are positioned around the world. Just beautiful how God partners you and lines you up and to run with people who are running the direction he wants you to be running. And then at times says, all right, it's time to run with a new pack that kind of answer the question of the journey. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Unpack for us now as a community leader um, over a campus on the Upper West Side. What does that job entail for you? What does that look like? How do you spend your time? What are your priorities in any given week? So I would say that my overall job is to make sure that I am stewarding the mission and vision of Liberty Church at the local level. Whatever that requires, communication with team, if that requires communication I mean, from the platform, like what is our front facing personality to our community? And I'm responsible for stewarding that. And then also what is like our inward personality for lack of a better word. And I'm responsible for communicating that. I would say also that my personal focus too is on leadership development. The idea that Yes, I have responsibility to store this thing, but this thing isn't going to be mine forever. And God's doing something way bigger than me and way bigger than the West Side, way bigger than Liberty Church. And I just get to be a part of it for this time, in this season, in this place. So what can I do to help kind of create agents of change and leaders that are going to go out into their marketplace and into their industry? And we have a huge arts community as well. So learning to connect with the arts community and helping them understand how the gospel intersects with what it is that they're doing, that their personal calling is in that. And with that, they can bring Jesus. They don't have to be called away from that to be effective evangelists and kingdom of God, growing the kingdom of God. So I think my day-to-day -day is a couple of things. It's making sure that my team, so we have probably about somewhere between 70 to 80 teams that are consistently carrying the weight of our church. So our organization is mostly run all volunteers and we don't have other staff at each of our communities currently. So a majority of my time is helping to make sure that the day in the day operations of the church and the, certainly the product of a Sunday service is done with excellence and is done in a way that's glorifying God and also meeting the mission and, the, and then doing that through a volunteer team. I would say that takes the majority of my time. And I then, would imagine. So you've got, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, no, that's okay. So you've got uh, 70 volunteers who are kind of like your main volunteers, team leaders. You run a regular weekend service. You have one service or two on the weekends. We have one. Mm-hmm. One service and about how many people, I just want to give context and scale to our audience. It would be considered a smaller church. So we run under 200 on a Sunday morning. So we have uh, children's ministries. We have our one service. We have um, 
We're a completely portable community, so everything is set up and tear down. Um, nothing is permanent in location, no light, nothing's permanent. <laughs> you rent the facility? Yes. You rent the facility? We rent mm -hmm. the facility, we rent a theater. So, you know, showing up early in the morning and pulling everything out of the box and setting the stage for all the environments, whether that be, you know, your experience when you first come in, our lounge, our hospitality, our children's area, as well as the actual auditorium in which we're doing the worship service. So the kind of like the front of the house, the back of the house, and all the in-between is something that we set up every Sunday and then tear down every Sunday. So there's a lot of opportunities for logistics and uh, making things uh, streamlined and working, especially if you change venues, which we've changed venues more than one time. So you're reworking that system every time or when you change team members or New York is also very transient. So the same people that you start with or have for the six months isn't necessarily the same people that you're going to have for the next six months or year. So there's a lot of opportunities to revisit how you're training people, to revisit, you know, how it is the work's getting done to where it's effective, but it also is joy producing for them. And then also, I would say that my main job as well is to make sure that the culture of doing church doesn't supersede the pressing in and being the kingdom of God kind of thing. Sometimes that can be a, a hard thing because it takes so much effort and time to actually produce a Sunday service sometimes to make that the highlight or the pinnacle of the experience. But trying to make sure that I'm creating pathways and opportunities and an understanding and casting vision for the bigger why and when of what we're doing outside of just the Sunday experience. So it's a quipping place, but that we're actually activated to do. That's awesome. And so on Sunday morning, you have a worship team. It's a typical weekend experience. And mm -hmm. are you the main teacher then also the main preacher for the weekend? I am not the main preacher. So we actually have our model. We do a rotating teaching staff. So it, it's a collection of the community pastors, as well as our lead pastors, as well as some other um, teachers who are just on staff or it's always live. So the teaching is always live, but it is a rotation. But I do have the opportunity to, and my husband as well, usually one to two times a month or somewhere in there will be presenting or a part of the teaching. I don't hold all that by myself. <laughs> Yeah, You're, it's a big job. It's a big job. And I know, um, but it's so fun to watch you flourish in it. Talk to us a little bit about the transition from South Florida to New York. And one of the things that I love about your story that I'd love for you to expand on a little bit is just your relationship with New York before this opportunity ever came abroad. This wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like you had never been there or didn't have a connection or relationship with it. So talk a little bit about uh, that transition and also your kind of connection with the with the city. When I originally fell in love with New York City, I think I was 12 years old. I had come to New York City to live for several months as a ballet dancer, and I was doing an intensive, like a ballet intensive, where I was working with a company for a period of time. And so me and two friends and one of their moms came and lived in an apartment in Chelsea for a couple of months. And all I did was dance. I just went to dance class and I did performances and you know, the life of a dancer. So that's when I first got to see the city and smell the city and taste the city. And I, my mind was blown coming from suburban South Florida. And I thought, why am I not living here? Like, this is where all the action is. So it actually had been a dream on my heart for a very long time that eventually I'd get to New York City. All through my career of, as a performer, there were times when it was a potential reality where I had walked it out in my life and I thought it might work and it kind of fell through and I thought it might work and it kind of fell through. And then 
even once I was married to Danny, I was a performer and he was a hairdresser at the time. And we're like, hey, New York's awesome. Why don't we go there? You can do hair and I can perform. And that'll be great. But at the time, God was already calling us more and more into investment in ministry. And we were already trying to work smarter and work less so that we could be available for ministry. That was like our tent making. We were just going to make tents over here because we really wanted to be doing ministry over here. And we thought, well, we'll move to New York would really make that more challenging because we'd probably have to work more just to live in the city. It didn't really make a lot of sense. We sort of just let that dream dissipate a little bit. But I love the city so much and I wanted my husband to have a heart for it. I'm like, you know where we should go on our honeymoon is New York City. <laughs> so we actually came to New York City on our honeymoon because when you're from South Florida, who goes to the Dominican Republic and sits on the beach for your honeymoon? So that was the first time that he was able to see the city. And he was like, I finally know what you're talking about. Because every time I visited, for any reason, I was taking pictures and like, look at this place. Casting vision, but it wasn't catching on. After we had come here, he also started to fall in love with it. And we'd considered, like I said, moving here. And it just never seemed to be the thing. I'd actually been talking to a friend who gave a prophetic word one time. It was my chiropractor at the time, which was weird. So he's giving me an adjustment and he's like, God has a word for you. And it's whatever's in your heart right now is, is a yes. And I immediately started crying because just earlier that morning, I had been talking to God about what's the next thing. I was in ballroom at the time. And what's the next thing? I was getting ready to change partnerships. And I was trying to determine how I wanted to continue in the career. And I remember thinking to God, I'm like, man, New York City. It would just always come up. I'd love to go to New York City. And then I thought, man, that's just silly. And then I thought, well, the only way I'd really go to New York City is if the church I named the church I was with was going to go there and plant a church. But then I was like, well, that's ridiculous. They'll never go to New York City. Like, why would they do that? And and I just put it out of my mind. And then this, I got this word. Well, that was two years prior to the church saying that they were actually going to launch a community in New York City. And it ended up being two years later on my birthday that the church was like, hey, you know what? We're going to New York City. And I was like, oh my gosh, you know. And I thought to myself, could this be a reality? You know, because sometimes words that you get or things that you hear from God, you're like, I don't know, maybe I'm making that up in my mind because it, it's, you know, it's so sad. Sometimes our faith is so small that you're like, it's almost too good to be true, God. How could that be you? Which is ridiculous, right? So it was one of those moments. And just within probably a month later is when I was called to the lead pastor's office with my husband. And they're like, hey, we really are feeling like you guys should consider being a part of this. Do you want to do it? And I was like, I don't even think I've been praying about this for like 20 years. Yes. So um, God had brought this whole collection of dreams together to this one experience. What I had wished for been like, that would be worth going to. It would be worth going to New York if we were going to be investing in a church there. And also what I realized is that what God was doing during that season is he was really kind of streamlining my vision and mission for my life and my husband's vision and mission in life to really co-labor in the gospel together. And so both of our hearts were awakened towards the same thing. And I think that's really been a beautiful blessing in my uh, leadership journey as well, to not feel like my journey is going one direction and his is going in another. So. I just love how God does that, right? He like plants things in our hearts. He knows what's in there. And for us, it can feel like waiting forever or the dream is dead or hopeless, but he's still just pulling the pieces together, orchestrating it. And when it all comes together, it really is miraculous. All of those things line up like that. Amazing.
Tell our listeners a bit about the differences you've experienced in ministry in South Florida. You know, we're a large urban area. We have our own set of transient communities, you know, maybe more than perhaps other areas of the country. But New York City is kind of on steroids in every extreme. So talk to us a little bit about how you approach ministry differently, maybe some of the big lessons you've learned since you've been there for a few years. Well, definitely. Growing up in South Florida, and particularly in the area that I was in, to your point, it was a small town in any way. There was, I felt like, some diversity and opportunities for things, and a lot of New Yorkers, actually. (laughs) So I, I didn't feel that apart or distant from. But then when I came to live in New York City and really experienced uh, the communities inside of stuff, it did change the way I thought about things. So what I did note is in New York City, even though it's a small island, it's not very big from like end to end, I think it's like seven miles or eight miles or something very small. And from like the widest, it's three miles. Like you could run it and not die, right? But there are so many people and so much going on. And there's such a collection of diverse culture and thought life and political ideas and religious background and absence of religious background. And so even though I thought I was coming from a place that was pretty diverse, maybe in comparison to some other areas, I hadn't realized quite how diverse the world was. And it was almost like my first intersection of a global experience, but in one city. And it's one of the beauties of New York City is it's quite global, but also small. You can really intersect with all of these communities on a pretty regular basis or cultures or foods or experiences or whatever. At the same time, there's like a global impact or awareness or touch point. So learning to appreciate that and the tensions that come with that and then considering how that affects what we're doing on a ministry level. Because if our goal is to impact people and to help them fall in love with Jesus and to help them build the kingdom of God, to be disciples and to be disciple-making disciples, you have to understand your context to some degree. At the same time, you have to be able to be flexible to understand that you're not trying to build a culture inside of a culture in the sense of, I'm not trying to build the brand of my church necessarily. Uh, I think being around in the, the diversity, it's almost like it's unpalatable here in a way because people think so differently and feel so differently and they don't necessarily want to be a part of something that's so same you know so so much the same like they yeah, like hom- homogeny or yes. yeah it's like rather than diversity is so many different things and it's really that almost the melting pot thought it's like all these things together create something new and if you only have one you're missing out right, right. that's Correct. really good point interesting yes. So, but then at the same time, the message has to be clear of the fact that we as Christ followers are called to a different way of living and to a different standard. What are the kingdom principles that are supposed to define our lives? But then how do we work them out through our diversity and through our different cultural contexts and through all the different types of industries that we're a part of and that integration, but um, being challenged to communicate the truth of God's word without making it look like it can only be one way uh, was kind of a new challenge. I think that probably every church is trying to do that. I just hadn't realized quite how much I'd have to fight for that a little bit and listen to the city. So there's a lot of listening to the city going on. There's Because even within a 10 block radius and you move another 10 block radius, there's a different language being spoken literally and figuratively. And there's different needs and there's different things that are being celebrated. You can't assume that the same values are being celebrated from one community or neighborhood to the other. And so a part of what we're even doing as Liberty Church is we have community churches. And so 
while they're all sister in heart and following the same mission and vision, they each have their own unique personalities because they're trying to, we're trying to listen to the unique personality of the community that we're in and then help to answer the questions that we have on our lives with the kingdom principles that we're doing. I feel like that journey is never going to end, <laughs> but that will always be something that I'm on, something I'm always learning how to do better. And there's such a rich heritage here of church as well in New York. Obviously, it's an older city as well than the city I had come from. There's a lot of history, a lot of bad things and good things that have mixed together, a lot of opportunities for redemptive conversations and for re-looking at things, a lot of opportunities for reconciliation and for forgiveness and repentance and really trying to not assume that we we know what we're doing, but really listen to what the city has, the wounds that the city has, the experiences that the city has, and therefore the people. And then what is the the cool drink of water that the gospel bomb that the gospel gives us in those areas. I don't think I really thought about church that way in my previous context. It was more about, for me, from my perspective, how to do church well kind of a thing. Yeah, because we do have almost industry, you'll say kind of industry standards, what sort of all the churches are working on or doing, what the best practices are. But in a context like yours, there really aren't best practices because there's no community like the community you're serving. And especially if it's constantly changing and shifting, that idea of listening to the city and listening to the people, that's a really important strategy and posture as a leader that you're, it's really that servant leadership posture, but kind of played out in a different way. And I, I do see that actually even in different contexts around the country when I visit with churches, uh, because our people are becoming so much more globally connected and so much more embracing of diversity and traveling more and our schools have more integration. Uh, again, it, it varies by area of the culture, but it, that is a growing thing in our in just the world is more interconnectedness, more appetite, and not even just willingness to embrace diversity, but like a hungering for it and a high value of it. Mm -hmm. And so needing to reformat how we have gospel conversations and how we articulate the truth of the Bible and God's love for us in a way that matches that and doesn't stand against it, or people can't assume at least that we want the opposite of that, which I think it's mm -hmm. easy sometimes for people to look at some Christian traditions or people groups and assume that they don't want that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So we almost have to reinvent even the image of church and Christians. Yeah, certainly here in our Western context, I think, because over time, the Western church has had a similarity over time in, in a couple of decades. And so sometimes you can make a parallel between this is the gospel and this is the kingdom of God, when really it's, oh, no, actually this is the Western church. So being willing to challenge, being exposed to some of those global influences and what the hand of God has been doing in places that you're unfamiliar with and you learn how the gospel is making an impact there, it informs you into realizing how your own gospel context sometimes, it has the filter of just Western church. And so allowing that to be broken apart, allowing the discomfort of that, awareness and going like, maybe I am trying to move forward on something that really is limiting possibly what it is that God's doing and how creative God really is with the gospel. Oh, I love that. Practically speaking, because New York, what happens in New York is sort of the cultural trendsetter. And so what happens there kind of filters down into other places in the country. Some places are early adopters, some places are slow, but eventually it trickles down there. The thing that we're all trying to do is 
really make disciples to make disciples. What are some of the strategies that you are finding success with in just helping people grow in their faith and become more Christ-like? What are some of the angles or things that you're doing our listeners need to be paying attention to and probably be looking for opportunities to start experimenting or at least staying aware enough to be able to offer it when their culture begins to shift? Yes. So one of the first things that I started to realize here in New York and continues to be true is there's such a need for community and such a need to be known by a smaller group of people. And the New Yorker in general, I know sometimes gets the rap for being like rude or impersonal or whatnot, but they're actually extremely authentic group of people. You're just so people inundated all the time that you kind of have to like shut down in your general, when you're walking on the street and in the subway, you're so close to people that you don't know that if you were constantly to be engaging with all those people, you would just have fatigue all of the time. So there's sort of like a blinders on kind of a thing. But then once you do get to a situation where you can have a personal conversation relationship, there's an authenticity that is just like, they don't put on a whole lot of things. They're just like being real. So it does make ministry fun in a way, because you get the fullness of the person pretty upfront. But what I've noticed in that first, it was like, how do we create community? How do we create opportunities for people to connect in genuine relationship? And of course, through our small groups or what we offer and whatnot. And then also the uniqueness of New York being a lot of small spaces. So most people don't have large apartments, or if they have apartments, they have multiple roommates. So there's not a lot of like, inside your home kind of activity. There's a meeting out in coffee shops or at restaurants or whatnot. And you've got two tops and four tops and maybe six tops. Even you're at a long table, but the people next to you, you do not know. So it's like, how do you create a sense of connection, even though you don't have a large building and you don't have a facility and you don't have a space where 20 people can sit down comfortably. And sometimes coming from a large church context, you're like, well, if there's not 25 people, is it worth hosting? Is it worth doing? Is it whatnot? And so it was really trying to like, okay, what, where's the value? And the value is creating that connection. So if I can create that connection one-on-one or, you know, with four people or six people, great. But what I started to catch on to in really was just a survival tactic for trying to learn how to do church here was actually, I think something that New Yorkers appreciate and maybe I think could transform how we do church in the future. And that is, there seems to be a desire for people here to have a a boutique experience, a small experience. You know my name, you know who I am. If it's too big, if it's too industrial, if it's too um, unpalatable, like they don't want to go to a restaurant that's a chain restaurant. They want to go to a restaurant that's unique, that's doing something excellent, but it's not too big. And so there's this like boutique experience. People are doing homes that way. They're doing vacations that way. They're selecting places that they're staying, you know, on the internet because they're staying in people's personal homes. They want a boutique experience but they want a global reach. So it's how can I have a small business boutique experience, but with the power of a global arm, like a global reach. And in church context, I feel like you've either had one or the other. You're either a small church that kind of has reach in your community, or you're a global church that's like so big and it's hard to find the community as if it only have one or the other. And I think what God's doing is he's sort of busting all of that up and saying, well, can we have this and this? So I wonder if the new church network or the new church multi-site for, to use similar terminology or how the structure, because there's something beneficial about, because as Liberty Church, we're, we're multiple churches in multiple cities around the world, but we're all connected to like one thing. There's idea sharing, there's process sharing, there's the creative energy of multiple people. So there's a strength and a support that comes from the network 
but then there's the global reach. So there's, you know, things happening you know, far away where I haven't even visited before that Liberty Church, Liberty Church is a part of. So that would just be an example. And, I, and we're still figuring out how to do that exactly effectively. But at the same time, I think that that's what attracts people to what it is that we're offering because it's a, I come to church on Sundays and it's not overwhelming. There's something going on that is still excellent and I can tell I'm a part of something bigger than what's right here. But at the same time, I've seen these people before and I know these people and I feel comfortable and I know that if I just talk to a couple of people, I might be able to get connected. It doesn't feel like there's generations of people that I have to get through before I can talk to the leader or know the leader. So there's something about that boutique experience that I think really energizes people to connect to what the church is doing. But at the same time, the activities that we're involved in and the things that we're growing are have a global a global reach. So I actually think that might be the future of the church. And I don't know if it's one network or if it's all of the sister churches really learning how to network together and pool resources to have this global effect. But it's having the both the small business mindset with the global reach perspective. Oh, I love that. I think that's incredibly insightful and makes a lot of sense, I think, in a lot of different contexts. But definitely you're at the hub of that in New York City and experimenting with that. And really, your church is innovating in that space, especially when you think of all of your campuses being across the world. That network isn't just like a missions department. It's really like our church actually is global. We don't just care about the world. We actually represent and are present throughout the world. I love hearing that. And that's definitely one of the trends I see in multi-site is international campuses and really that breakdown between missions and campusing, that integrating more and becoming really one thing Mm -hmm. uh, rather than two separate kind of siloed departments. I love hearing that. Uh, One of the things that I would love to know is you have a 19-month-old little girl, Vivian, who is just adorable and just love that girl. Talk a little bit just for a minute about leading at such a high level and overseeing a community like that. And then at the same time, you know, maternity leave and pregnancy and having a baby. And how was that experience for you as a leader and as a young mom? Well, I'm still figuring it out. But the beauty is that God's grace is sufficient to cover all things. And that is something that I learned from the beginning after finding out I was pregnant and even wondering, like, am I even going to like this being pregnant thing? Like, anyway, all my personal questions and struggles and doubts, God just kept saying, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. And there'd be times when I try to look ahead a little bit about, oh, when I'm going to have the baby or once I have the baby and I'm working and what if, and God just kept saying, the grace that you see today in your pool the reservoir is not sufficient for what's coming down. But you know what? Tomorrow you're going to get new grace. And the day after that, you're going to get new grace. So you just got to trust me that your grace is sufficient for each day. So I appreciate that promise even now as I'm navigating having a toddler as well as leading a church and ministry is, isn't very clean and cut and dry. I don't leave the office. I leave the technical office, but I don't really leave the space of the investment of what I'm doing in people's lives. And there's people that I'm engaging with and friendships and whatnot. And it just, it all crosses over. It enmeshes. And I, I really wouldn't have it any other way. But at the same time, my family is different than my ministry or my ministry of family is coinciding and working alongside my ministry and the mission of the church. Learning that God is big enough to handle both of those missions that he gave me and that he's going to work them together, but that also there are real practical challenges and I've got to be willing to either make hard choices or just set better boundaries or, you know, it goes back to the same thing. You have to lead yourself well so you can lead other people well. Learning what it is that I need, what what I need with my time. I mean, one of the 
comical things, but serious things that I'm learning is I'm quite introverted in nature. So I need alone time to refuel. So when I was married to a very extroverted person, that was a learning curve. It's like, oh, wow, he's always here. And he likes to engage all the time. And I need some space. But you know, we had our time when we weren't together, you know, now that we're doing ministry together, we're together a lot and so on. But still, I had those moments where he would do something. But now I have a child who is also quite extroverted. She wants to engage all the time. She doesn't want to do her own thing. She wants to be with me. She wants me to be which is lovely, but at the same time, I'm realizing that all of my time is being kind of sent out with these extroversion energies. And so that's something I have to figure out. That's something I personally, what are my personal needs as a leader for me to flourish and how to create healthy boundaries around my life so that I can both be impacting the areas and spheres and the things that God's given me, but also that I can be healthy. I guess that's no different the season that you're in. You just, your opportunities shift over time to know yourself. Like you never stop leading yourself well, right? You just get opportunities to revisit what that looks like and being humble. Yeah, that's a great answer. And I think that parenting, especially in the season that you're in, that you have to redefine what your child needs yes. quite frequently. As they get older, those time um, spans tend to lengthen. Um, but when they're really little, it's really like almost like every month you're renegotiating, you know, you think you've got sleep conquered and then, oops, not really. Now we're in a new zone. You got to figure out a different way to do that. And toddler years is really, there is a lot about interaction. They're just sponges. So you don't want to miss any of that. But at the same time, you want to be your best self in it. So, well, you're coming down for a life plan with me in a couple of weeks. I think this was perfect timing. I'm super excited about that. So, (laughs) So, okay. I've got a couple last questions that we ask all of our guests. The first one is, who is your favorite leader in the Bible and why? So as I was thinking about this, I'm like, oh, there's so many good ones. But the, the, the highlight was, it surprised me. And that was actually Priscilla and Aquila. Because yeah. I, I, I think I identify the most with their life. Because they're not necessarily, they didn't write a part of the Bible. And you're not maybe some of the obvious ones. But I appreciate the way they did life together. So um, they met Jesus. And they're like, all right, we're on mission. We're going to use all the resources of what we have, our home, our talents, our skills, our industry, our influence, our, our wealth. And they partnered together and ran alongside each other and then really lived out the mission of building the church, inviting people in, training and teaching. And I just, I feel like that's what my husband Danny and I have been called to do. So when I look at People in the Bible, like there are people in the Bible that I can see their leadership and go, wow, that's really awesome. I appreciate the way that you're leading or how God talked to you. But I feel like that's, but that's not me. But when I look at their life, I'm like, that kind of is me. I mean, very similar. Even they even moved towns, if I remember correctly, and even really kind of mentored some of the high level apostles in teaching them the way of the faith and the way of ministry. And Mm -hmm. yeah, I think your all's influence is very similar to that. And you both are such maximizers of your circumstances. You're going to turn over every rock and push into every corner and connect with every opportunity because you want to maximize. And they are very much like that in the context that God put them and with the believers they were around and they, they, they exercised every gift they possibly had. And you guys do the same. So that's a really great example. I love that. (laughs) Good one. Okay. Do you have a favorite female leader that you like to watch or learn from? Um, I don't have one in particular, although, I mean, on my list of favorite leaders is you. <laughs> so, and then, but I was like, oh, that weird thing to say on her. It is weird. Girl. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it's on my top list of, of lives that I look to and say, wow, okay, I can, I can learn from this or forging the ways. But as an example of you and other female leaders that I've watched or it's, there's no one person that I'm like, oh, I really want to 
But I, there's a lot of beautiful examples in the kingdom of God of women who are answering the call of God in their life. And the ones that I tend to admire the most are the ones that are uh, that are secure in who they are in Jesus and that they really are, because of that security and that freedom, they're able to very selflessly pour into what's happening around them to see the opportunities, like almost understanding that the fullness of their leadership influence will be realized in other people. That's the type of leader. And when I've watched females do that specifically, obviously it's inspiring because I can relate to it and realizing that those who realize that the value of who they are as a wife and as a mom and all of that is not second to their value as a ministry leader, but it's almost like they're comfortable with the creative dance with the Holy Spirit of what it is to be leading as a mom or co-leading with a husband or leading a team or a ministry. So I tend to hone in and look and see women who are doing that. I'm like, okay, how are you doing this? And like, what are your life hacks? And what are some of the struggles you've experienced? And it helps me to realize that I'm not actually alone. And there are beautiful women who are forging the way in the wilderness. And I get to kind of come behind and then also recognize that there's women who are going to come behind me as well. And there's the sisterhood. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, there's no one right way to answer your calling. Um, and we actually have many callings that we're answering simultaneously is the way I think of it. But somehow God does weave those together. And if you can, um, the goal is to kind of like win a little in all of them, not win big in one and fail in the rest, but like keep them all moving forward. And when he does that is really amazing how that just multiplies your efforts. And there's a synergy that happens there even in your own life. Yeah. Keep going, girl. You got it. You're awesome. Okay. Okay, so last question. You brought up ministry uh, life hack. So any sort of tricks in terms of balancing ministry life, things that you sort of uh, learned along the way that you want to pass on to other, other women out there? Yeah. Uh, so something that I, I don't know if I could say I've learned it, but I'm in the process of learning or recognizing the value of it is it can be very easy to push forward a part of your life and forsake some of the other parts of your life. So back to like the holistic realization that I had that God was showing me before, like you are mind, body, spirit, you are all of that. And when that's all running and sync together and is healthy, you're going to be um, the most effective. And I think sometimes it can be easy to maximize, you know, the strategic mind part of what I'm doing and forget about my body or to really be like spending time nourishing my soul, but to not necessarily lean into my relationship at home or something like that. And so recognizing that all of those things are actually important and the complexity that I am is not something to be minimized or to be somehow overcome. Like I will always be complex and I will always have lots of different needs and that doesn't make me different or weird or any, you know, that's not something that I have to change, but really, okay, so all of these things need to be strengthened and discovered and cared for. So um, it's okay to take time in these different areas and to think that when I'm strong physically and healthy, my mind works better, makes me a better strategic thinker and makes me a better team leader. You know, when my marriage is healthy, it's going to make me a better pastor. Like when, when my, I'm working well at work, it's going to actually affect home, you know? And I think sometimes we, we tend to highlight and celebrate the movement of the ministry and not necessarily like all of the health mile markers that you could have personally that actually are going to contribute to your success as a minister. And all those things are important and not to be minimized. So that I love that. 
giving yourself permission to have those conversations and to create healthy practices around things like working out and moving your body and eating well and spending time with your family and disconnecting from your email or your tasks or whatnot in order to be present with your relationships at home. And I mean, it's just, you have permission to do that. And hopefully the culture that you're in, or at least you can be a leader that shapes that culture wherever you are in your influence. Kind of life hacks, more of encouragement. <laughs> and then and the, real, the real practical life hack, and this is just a silly one, and most people probably know about it, but I have found one of the effective things that helps me bridge the gap practically from my personal life to my ministry life is actually Evernote. So Evernote as a tool is, you can use it, it's probably way more capable than what I even use it for. But the, the thing that I like about it is my mind doesn't think in sections, you know? I Like when I'm thinking, I don't just have a thought about work and then just have a thought about home. It's like, it's just like peppered and all these things are happening. And I, I found that Evernote is a great way to trap that because I don't have to be concerned. It can be messy and clear at the same time. And there's very things in life that are like that. So there can be a lot of information in Evernote, but by just like the simple tags that I put at the top, and there could be 20 tags in there, but it, it works with my stream of consciousness. So sometimes I get an idea about something I need to do at home and I'll just quickly open up Evernote. I'll do something and then I'll just put a few tags on it that are like, what would I connect it to if I was looking for it later? And I have found that so effective. So sometimes I get ideas about something I want to do for a particular team member. And so I'll tag that person and then I'll find it later. Or it might be a teaching something for a, a team meeting or a sermon or who knows, but it's a download. And so I just need to quickly, but I don't have time to develop it. I don't have time to put it in its right place, but I can get it somewhere so I don't lose it. And I feel like over time that reservoir is going to build into something even better, but I can always find it. It's never hidden from That me. is so great. I agree. I feel like Evernote is a game changer. And so for any of you that haven't looked into it, I highly recommend it. I had to start slow because it's a totally different way of organizing. And I like all my little folders and all my little things to line up. But there's something about having it available on your, um, really on my phone. I use it a lot and can just capture an idea and kind of there's, yeah, like you said, there are these little tags that you can label things. And so you can pull it up or pull all the notes or all the thoughts you had about something in one place. Because I know I've thought of something. I just don't always know what it is, <laughs> but I know what it was about. And so it really, it's kind of like, I think their logo is even an elephant, like an elephant never forgets. And so that's kind of the idea is to just grasp those thoughts. I found too, that kind of thing, even in like my quiet time or, uh, if I'm trying to just be more quiet and reflective around my Sabbath, that for me, when I get those ideas, because sometimes in the quiet, I have my best kind of inspired ideas, or I can even hear God more clearly, rather than being like, don't think about work or don't do that. Just grabbing it and making sure I can get to it later is so freeing. It actually frees all my thought process um, when I'm now not afraid of forgetting it because I'm trying yeah. not to think about work or whatever. So yeah. I love that. Great, great information. Great tips. I love it. Danielle, this has been such a joy. You're just one of my favorite people. And um, I just really, really appreciate your perspective. I know our listeners will really learn a lot from your story and from the practical things you've given us. And uh, we'll be praying for you. New York City is not an easy uh, spiritual ground. It can be a really dark place. It can feel really lonely as a believer, but I just know you're uh, shining bright there, uh, you and your whole family and uh, really your whole church just making a way in dark places. And so we're cheering you on. We'll be praying for you and just really appreciate your time today. Well, thank you. I appreciate you greatly and what you're doing in the kingdom of God and encouraging leaders to be their best selves. 
appreciate it. It's awesome. And now we still get to see each other with it, which is even better. So. That's so cool. <laughs> All right, everybody, you have a wonderful day. Thanks for joining us. Thank you to Danielle Best for joining us today on The Together Project. You can find out more about Liberty Church at www.libertychurch.com NYC. And as always, we'd love for you to subscribe to this podcast. Head on over to iTunes and rate this podcast, comment and leave a review for us. This helps the magic of algorithms send this podcast to more listeners. To learn more about Katie Cole, find her on social media at K-A-D-I-C-O-L-E or visit her website www.katiecole.com. And if you happen to be a chick in ministry, join our Ministry Chick group on Facebook at Ministry Chick. Remember, the future can't be just male or female. It's got to be together. Thanks for growing with us.